You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Hello, welcome back to episode 22 of the TV Obsessive podcast. My name is Ryan Kirksey, a writer and contributor for tvobsessive.com. And as always, I'm joined by the executive editor of tvobsessive.com. It feels like I've been with them for 7,000 years. It's Cameron Crane. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing doing well. Not not really, but we're 7,000 years will become relevant later. I, I, I believe it will. Well, yeah. I mean, well, it's actually even like, well, we'll talk about the time scale. So what Ryan's referring to is that we are planning to dig into the Doctor Who episode Heaven Sent here today on the latter half of the pod. Uh, this is from season nine. It's season nine, episode 11. If you start counting with the revival in 2005, I think it is. And it's... <laughs> That's basically, that's generally what people do. I don't know that I haven't counted some Brits who count based on the <laughs> original and I don't know what, what it is. It's the 60th anniversary of yes. Doctor Who uh, this month. Part of why I thought, well, okay, I'll go ahead and choose this one is, is that um, I was noticing that this episode also came out in November originally. Um, so, I mean, we want to mark the eight-year anniversary <laughs> of the episode. Uh, I think it's still in a couple of weeks. But um, so, yeah, that will be in the latter half here today. Ryan has not seen Doctor Who prior to this. So curious to see uh, how this landed for him. I've chosen this as one of my uh, Mount Rushmore episodes, as it were. Um, yeah. But as per usual, right? Well. Talk about the news a bit and uh, what we've been watching and stuff like that here in the first half of the podcast. Refraining from spoilers on the stuff we mentioned here. Uh, then we'll give a spoiler warning. There will be spoilers on the Doctor Who part. Okay, so general plan if people listen every week. I don't know. Uh, anyway, it's uh, November 14th, 2023. What do we got this week, Ryan? Well, this may be the last time that we talk about a strike for a while. The SAG after strike has officially ended. Um, 86% of their, their board voted to end it, which I thought was an odd um, number. Maybe I'm mistaken thinking that, but this strike is officially ended. Everybody jumped back into work literally that day, all over social media, all over the talk shows. Uh, so they, the members still have yet to vote on this, uh, this resolution that was come, the agreement that was come to between the, the guild and the studios, but it's officially over. Thoughts on, on how this ended, um, thoughts on what's happens going forward. And I, I guess we're just sort of waiting now for things to get back to back to business. Yeah. I mean, as you say, I guess the membership hasn't fully voted yet. One presumes they'll ratify. It would be really surprising if they didn't given that the leadership has and agree you know and i think people want to get back to work as you say they announced this yes uh and then said you start up tomorrow you know i think it's been almost a full week actually you know we, we record on tuesdays um i have seen you know so they they did manage to get some ai protections in there as we yes. were talking about this last week it's, it, it, it was starting to feel like this was the big sticking point I have some seen, seen some people express that they think it may be not good enough. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know the details. For what it's worth, I read a little like post on uh, Wired. I think it was from Alex Winter. Okay, and uh, he's on board. You know, um, <laughs> you know, you, you know, Alex Winter. I do. I do. Yeah. And to that, point, I, I've not seen many, if any details i've seen a few people saying okay this is looks like this is what we got and a lot of people saying this is great so you know nobody's saying we got the shaft here but uh yeah there's some dissenting thoughts i think yeah i haven't seen all of the details and i'm i guess i'm particularly curious on the ai stuff but yeah uh alex winter has you know at this point he's like a documentarian more or less right you know and uh, I think he more or less knows what he's talking about here. And, you know, he was kind of arguing in the piece I referenced that, well, if you're looking at the issue with currently existing copyright law and all of that, it's wonky. You know, things are going to be imperfect. We're at least establishing establishing something with this. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. And there's something established, at least, you know, and um, 
maybe there are questions about how enforceable it is and so on and so forth, but you've got, got the issues that issue out there and you've established it at very least. So, yeah. all right, I'm on board, you know, let's get back to work, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I think that is kind of worth thinking about with this AI stuff, which has become kind of such a central issue was in these strikes is like meaningfully, we don't yet know what all they'll do or try <laughs> to do, yeah. you know, like a lot of it was, fears about possible futures you know um so so we'll see what the studios and 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 so on maybe try to get into doing anyway despite what the agreements say and uh i don't know i hope that they're not on strike again in three years personally but yeah it does seem that these are I guess, again last time we had these or one of these strikes was 2008 there was a rider strike so we went a full 15 years. Uh, the, these these agreements seem short term, which in on one hand benefits the guild members because it doesn't allow technology or advancements or whatever to get too far ahead of the members. But on the other hand, could lead to this thing, same thing happening three years from now. I'm with you. I certainly hope not. And certainly hope that this is you know more resolution can come earlier in the process next time. But there is always a chance. Yeah, he's negotiating a good day. You know, they, what was so frustrating, it felt like with both the WGA strike and the SAG after strike, they ended in a similar kind of way where like just a couple days before it, it ended, the AMPTP was out there going, we gave them our best last final <laughs> offer. And if they don't like it, we're going to take our ball and go home. Yeah. And the union said no. And then like two days later, say, well, okay, then. Then we'll give more, okay, and then we'll be done. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll give in on that. You know, Why don't you just do that Do that four months ago? I, yeah, I'll never understand that. Right, and that's kind of where I was going with it. It's just like, you could have done this way sooner. You didn't have to drag it out until exactly uh, uh, you know, fall, late fall now. Yeah. There um, were some, I, I, you know, again, I don't want to be too cynical about this, but we several weeks ago, we, we referenced this, the that I believe it was the HBO executive talking about how much money they saved as a result of this. You really hate to think that this was a, well, let's spend a quarter getting, you know, back towards the black or something. And then we'll, then we'll get back into this. I really hate to think that, but you never know. There's gross stuff going on though, though. This, this risks an aside, this is more film than TV, but let's go ahead and mention it because it ties into what you're talking about. You see this stuff this week with Coyote versus Acme and, Warner Brothers. I, I, I found this out. fascinating. Fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So another the, instance, yeah, like that yeah, girl, basically. Exactly. And to your point, you know, so this movie was filmed. This was like back. Yeah, exactly. Like with Batgirl. Batgirl was filmed, finished, ready to go. Yeah. Warner Brothers shelves it. This movie with John Cena about the Coyote and Acme Company. You know, Looney Tunes sketch with the Roadrunner. Done. Finished. Complete. Ready to go. They shelve it. Now there's sort of a screening for other studios, see who might want to take it on. And then a story came out yesterday. I know this is film because, you know, we're sort of going into this. But now apparently producers and, and showrunners are are turning down meetings with Warner Brothers because they did this again. Yeah, I read something about that. And they should. And you know what? It is film, but it does kind of tie in with TV yeah. because like uh, Roadrunner and, and, and you know, Wiley Coyote, that's TV. Originally, that's, right? that's original TV, yeah. That's TV, but anyway, yeah, I know. I mean, it's what is this? I don't get it. And yeah, as you say, now they're gonna they're talking about shopping it elsewhere, yes, yeah, but that's like, also like screening. really weird. I mean, because isn't isn't something like Looney Tunes central to the Warner Brothers brand? I, I mean, it doesn't if, if I could give sense. you an explanation, I would. I just this is like where Warner Brothers started was back with this stuff. Yeah, like, this, how can you let this go? This stuff just doesn't make sense to me. When I read that they're doing something like this for a tax write-off, I start thinking, we need to abolish tax write-offs. <laughs> uh, and and, and I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, just, that, just kind we'll, of We'll save, save that one for Ryan and Cameron's political pod, which is quickly uh, <laughs> becoming a spinoff of this one. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, but, but yeah, I did see uh, unnamed you know, creative saying yep, yep. they had a meeting on the books. You cancel my meeting with Warner brothers and you can't blame them. I mean, like, yeah. do you want to spend potentially years of your life creating something that no one will ever be able to see? Yep. Partic- mean, particularly after you just worked so hard for 
residuals, you know, it was because we're talking about television programs that this is one of the incentives you're looking forward to if you make a good product and they just say, ah, oh, never mind. We want the tax write-off instead. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying like, hey, I've seen this movie and it's pretty good, which yeah. is <laughs> distinguish it from Batgirl a little bit, you know? So people start saying, well, like, wait a minute. Maybe we were willing to buy that Batgirl was just awful. Yeah. But, you know, this could happen to anything if it, you know, is, you see a kind of recurring pattern. So, yeah, hopefully they stop doing stuff like that. Um, production resuming, you know, various timelines. We'll yeah. see about announcements. Uh, you know, Every, everywhere it seems like, yeah, it's picking back you, up. But you notice that they delayed. They've they've announced kind of a delay on the three body problem from what they said. Yeah, I've been following sort of three body problem because I was excited about it coming in January. But this is something where I, I guess maybe they want a ramp up period in terms of marketing or communication for this show. But that uh, that show has been moved. This is a uh, Netflix series that's going to be moved to March. Instead yeah, of they June. don't they don't do marketing. What are you talking about? No, that's, that's true. <laughs> they just uh, put up in front of your face when you <laughs> log on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They trust the algorithm. So <laughs> I don't know what the details are here, but regardless, they're not saying March 2024. Um, yeah, kind of looking forward to that one. I mean, it's based on acclaimed Hugo Award winning science fiction. I know we talked about this uh, before. Um, yeah, weeks ago, whenever they announced January, uh, so I guess we'll wait till March. You know, so we'll get we'll get True Detective in January, and yes. uh, <laughs> I don't know. Is, it, is there anything else on my list? We, not I'm telling you, not for 2024. We got a couple things that we're going to talk about here in a moment that'll hold us over the rest of this year. But yeah, the January and February. I mean, they're bleak anyways, but they're going to be really bleak with without any any real good TV on. Yeah. We'll keep our eyes open for what's coming. Hopefully, they announce. Uh, hopefully, they announce some more stuff. I guess. Um, Jim yeah, Carlos Cito show you you mentioned. I didn't. Yeah, see speaking of um, new, new shows coming up, I I was unaware of this until last night when I was just putting some some notes together. So if you're a Giancarlo Esposito as the bad guy fan, then you've got a a new thing to look forward to coming up in in the spring. AMC has got a show uh, that they're bringing online called Parish, which is about a guy who was, I guess, used to be involved in some in some crime ring, was the wheel man for these guys, and and uh, something happens to Esposito's character to sort of set him off and get him back into that world. And I don't know the the, the twenty second clip that they have. That they have online looks uh looks pretty intense so i'm excited about it cool they do a lot of uh crime shows on amc anymore yes a lot of them don't you know like really ping people's radar i remember checking out a couple like kin and 61st street oh wow um, man those are deep cuts yeah I'm, I'm not saying that they were good i'm not <laughs> saying they were bad either i'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to rag on, uh, <laughs> on on amc but i i'm curious about this one you know um, it seems like they have tried to establish themselves a little bit in yes. terms of this kind of crime drama niche, and that was my point. Yeah, it looks looks gritty, looks really dark. It looks, uh, you know, Esposito sort of getting really upset and uh, on the on a breaking point. Looks like which which I can certainly get behind. I can too. Although you know what, I would like to see. We were talking about possible, you know, Breaking Bad spinoffs. Yeah, you can just like. Give us a little Gus spinoff where you just fill in what yeah. happens between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, you know, and yeah, what happens with him and that sommelier, you know. Oh yeah, okay, okay, I can do that. <laughs> He's just just him, like you know, hanging out, having a life, you know, <laughs> denying um, himself. You know, I, you know, I would be on board for that if that ever happened. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch it. I'd totally watch it. <laughs> It could just be him sitting in the in the oh now I've forgotten the name of the chicken place. Oh man. Los Pollos Hermanos. Los Pollos Hermanos. Just sitting in the back watching footage of stuff. That's no great. You've hit on it exactly. Vince Gilligan, this is what we want. Not a Walt Jr. spinoff. We want a Los Pollos Hermanos (laughs) spinoff. And we can also like, you know, what what happens to uh the franchise? What happens to the business after the events of Breaking Bad? Yeah, you those know? Poor, poor kids out there scrubbing dishes. They need they need a job. Yeah, who who takes it over? What, uh, you know, that's how they go. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Uh, last thing I w- I noticed was uh, after about 
nine straight years on top of the the streaming charts. Suits has been knocked off by House of Usher. Did you watch this new Mike Flanagan show in October? I haven't gotten to it yet. I enjoyed, um, you know, Haunting of Hill House a lot mm -hmm. and um, Haunting, of, Haunting of Bly Manor. Maybe a little bit less so, personally. Yep. But I, I've sort of fallen behind. I haven't gotten around to this one yet. Based on, uh, or somewhat based on Edgar Allan Poe. I don't know. Have you watched it? I've not watched it. Now, I think you're right that each each episode is loosely based around an Edgar Allan Poe story. This sort of tells the family, the story of this family, this this quasi-realistic uh, pharmaceutical family and sort of the fall of things that happened to them because of their involvement in a lot of nefarious um aspects of that of that industry um i love those first two shows i think it was midnight mass was his third one i haven't caught that one and i haven't caught this one but i do plan to um so yeah apparently you know the combination of mike flanagan these characters and sort of the october creepy showtime to put it at the top yeah no i should check it out i don't know why i haven't gotten around to it or no. midnight mass i've heard good things about midnight mass too Me i just too. haven't gotten to these things I think, you know what, part of it is, I'll make this comment, personally, I really am way more into the episode a week mm. release schedule yeah. anymore. Yeah. There was a period in my life where I kind of got into Netflix and I kind of got into the binge model. And now when they release a whole season of something, I yeah. feel like, well, that sounds like a large investment <laughs> yes, or something. Does. And I end up putting it off. Yeah. And I do the same thing when um, some of these places put out multiple episodes to begin with. And I realized mm -hmm. that I draw the line right around three. Peacock yeah. did yeah. a couple of shows where they released four and I still haven't watched them. <laughs> and and I feel like it just did, you made too much of a barrier to entry. I wasn't going to watch four episodes that first week right. and be on schedule with everyone else. I didn't have enough time. And <laughs> then it's just like, well, yeah, I still intend to watch Mrs. Davis sometime. Yes. You know, yes. so I think it falls. And that's just a personal thing. Yeah. And I'm looking so, at both of these. Yeah. Both of them were, looks like released all, you know, they were dumps all at once. So that's probably another reason why I haven't made a round of those. To those yeah. Yet. That's, the, that's the Netflix model. And I think part of what bothered me about it is that if you want to be timely, you have to somehow find time to binge it all like right away. Cause some people do, you know, and then if you don't, then it starts feeling like you're behind and you miss the conversation, you know, and um, anyhow, I prefer the once a week thing. Yeah, uh, completely agree. Speaking, speaking of once a week shows, if we can pivot to, to what we're watching, I know you watched the first episode of The Curse. Mm -hmm. um, Did you? I have, I have watched it. Um, I'll <laughs> never, I'll never eat a cherry tomato ever again. Um <laughs> And uh, we we need to at some point dedicate some time to talk about about this show. <laughs> I'll week. tell you right by by uh, so episode one came out on Friday or aired on Showtime the Linear Network on Sunday. Episode two is coming up this next week, and I have screeners on it. So I've written, I've seen episode two and written on it. I will tell you right my my article on episode two includes something like uh, the line that says something like, "No, the curse wants you to suffer." Oh, no. And um <clears throat> yeah, um, it's gonna be very uncomfortable, everything very uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, I love it, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean it's like what do you even classify this show as? What genre is it? What is it about? I mean, the show, the first episode was so uncomfortable, so cringy, and I don't think this gives anything away. We haven't even gotten to the curse aspect of anything of anything yet. I, I mean, this is I can't even imagine where the show is headed. I've only yeah. seen the first episode, obviously, but boy. Well, it was know. sort of in there a little bit. And 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 it, this might feel like a spoiler, but at the same time, they put the scene in the trailer. So I don't feel that bad about mentioning it. The scene in the parking lot where the little girl says, I curse you. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting that apparently, according to Nathan Fielder or whatever, apparently this is based on a real life experience he had. Oh, that boy. he moved to LA and he was going to buy a cell phone and some woman, you know, on the street asked him for cash. And like you do, he kind of went, Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have any, you know. Mm. And that she looked at him and said, I curse you. Oh boy. And uh his story anyway is that that stuck in his head enough that he went to an ATM and went back and gave her some money. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which I find <laughs> relatable. You know, it's like I don't believe in this curse. What are you talking about? But at the same time, like, man, that woman I, cursed I, I am I've read your piece and I've read a couple other things that just broadly look at the season ahead. And each of those talked about how it's going to get worse. And I just, it's hard to think of how it can get worse, but uh, I mean, I'm hooked. I'll certainly be watching it. I just, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen the rehearsal, you know, but this does feel like the rehearsal had a distinct kind of discomforting aspect because it was so much on the line of yes, what's real and what isn't. and, And you honestly weren't sure the curse is playing with similar things, but we do know that it's scripted. Yes. Um, so it's, it's interesting in that he is now scripting a fake reality show, right? This is kind of yeah. sort of the shows he's been involved in. Now he's satiring these in the most uncomfortable way possible. So anyway, I'm I think it's pretty that. great. I've got that going, writing on that weekly. And the other thing I'm writing on and watching weekly is a merger at the end of the world. I know I mentioned that before. Mm. Uh, the first episodes of that did come out um, today. Okay. Today, yeah, they came. Well, they came out at midnight, so I was about to say last night. But um, that's on Hulu. It's FX on Hulu. I don't know why they're uh, not putting it on their linear cable network. I guess, mm. but I guess they aren't. I guess they're just putting it on Hulu. Um, but I, I do recommend that. I mean, we'll see. It's a Limited series, I guess they say. So unlike yep. the OA, this one cannot be canceled early on us. <laughs> it all already exists. <laughs> oh, we love a limited series when it's actually limited. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to watch that uh, tonight. I have, to, I have one thing on my list to watch tonight, and I'll add that to the list. The first thing I'm watching tonight is I do have the first eight of 10 episodes of Monarch, which comes out Friday. I'll be writing about this for the site. I'm going to put something together the next couple of days about that. Um, I am very excited about this. It's getting, for what it is, it's getting some decent um, decent reviews, particularly for the performances and this whole Kurt Russell, Wyatt Russell um, dynamic between them being the same character across some generations. So looking very much looking forward to that. Um, starts this Friday, November the 17th. And then we just uh, a few days ago, I put my thoughts up on the site for the Loki finale, which I'm going to save a lot of this, but I, I don't think certainly you had seen the Loki finale when we talked about what episode we were going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that you are at this point aware of the connection between these two episodes, but it is some very sort of creepy, uncanny things existing between the Loki finale and what we're going to talk about today. So we'll we'll get into that later, I think. Interesting. Yeah, we can get into it a bit. So I don't know. Do we do we tag on a spoiler warning for Loki and then the latter half? We we might have to because it is it is um well I I think I can do it in a in a spoiler free way, but it is almost unavoidable to talk about one without the other. Every piece of content I have consumed about the Loki finale has referenced this episode that we're going to talk about today. Really. that's fascinating. So that at least completely no, and and for the record, for everyone, no, I had not seen the Loki finale. I have not seen a single episode of Loki, <laughs> actually. Um, uh, here it's good. Yeah. The only other yeah. thing I have to mention is I watched for the first time last night. I watched the Manning cast on Monday Night Football. Oh, okay. We had you ever watched that? Right? I, I I did not catch it last night. I've seen them. I saw them when they had Arnold Schwarzenegger on a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, what I'm saying is I'd never watched it ever. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. I've seen it a lot. Yeah. And I and I finally decided like, I don't know. People say this is good. I'm kind of sick of, you know, the general boring announcers. Like mm-hmm. I think I was watching Thursday night football and it felt like Al Michaels oh. was so bored he was starting to just make fun of people's names. He, he's just getting a paycheck at this point now. He Michael. needs to retire. Yeah. He I'm sorry. All respect to the road, Al Michaels. And he he knows so much about the history of football, and I mean he's a legendary sportscaster. But I just listen to him do these broadcasts, and I just think, just retire, man. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> not into it anymore. Like there was maybe it was a couple weeks ago. I don't know. There was some big exciting play. It was like he couldn't even muster a pretense of enthusiasm. Uh, okay, for for, the, for those of you that not, not in the notes, the Thursday night football now exists only on Amazon Prime Video, right? That's, That's where you can watch it. Do you think Al Michaels knows what Amazon Prime Video is? 
<laughs> I'm conceptually, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like there's just the name on the check that he gets. Yeah, conceptually. I don't know that I think Al Michaels has ever <laughs> watched something on Amazon right. Prime video. I'm not sure about that. Amazon Prime used to have, I used to watch, uh, I used to listen to rather the British mm. announcers on there. And I, I guess they got rid of that. Interesting. Okay. I, it was just kind of, I don't know, the, I don't remember the guy's names, but. It was amusing to me because it felt like they didn't really like fully know the rules of American football, you know. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> but they did pretty well, yeah. Uh, there was there's a lot of little ad hoc rules, in fairness, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. And so oh, yeah. many times they're calling, they're like, I don't know what's going on, really. And they just you know muddle through it. Anyway, I watched the Manning cast. I found it. I thought it was enjoyable. They're they're know? they're absolutely fantastic. I mean, if you're if you're not a Monday Night Football watcher and want to ever just check it out just start with the main cast they're they're incredibly entertaining and it was a distinctive kind of experience and i don't know why i hadn't checked it out before i just it was being like kind of stodgy or something but but yeah it was it was it was fun i thought it was fun so loved it um all right cool well i guess about that time we'll get into doctor who yes sir let's do um Again, Ryan has only seen this episode. Uh, potentially, like maybe some spoilers creep in from the following episode. Um, I believe that this is the penultimate episode in this season. But uh, personally, I, I don't think it's super important where this goes or what happens next, what I want to say about it. So uh, anyhow, definitely have uh, spoilers for Heaven Sent itself, general Doctor Who kind of spoilers a little bit um and uh yeah so as per usual we'll take about 10 seconds here pop in some music and dig into it on the other side Okay, welcome back. So as promised, we're going to talk about Doctor <laughs> Who. Um, to remind you of what this episode is, although I have to presume that fans of Doctor Who who have seen this episode know what it is immediately. Um, this is the one where Peter Capaldi's Doctor um, wakes up, as it were. You know, he's he's, he's you know, in a transporter and whatever, and in it's in the castle. Um, and he's being followed around by this creature known as the veil. Um, that is like it's got flies coming off of it and stuff like that, and just kind of creeps after him. And the whole thing, you know, it has a little bit of a horror aspect to it, as who Doctor Who sometimes does, it doesn't always do. This isn't this isn't exactly one of the most fun. Doctor Who episodes, <laughs> they're fun ones, right? You know yeah, I was going to say fun. This one, my my impression was Doctor Who had some whimsicalness to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some levity, you know. <laughs> um, not not a ton of that in in this one, and um, I think it's part of why it stands out. It's also more or less uh, one man play, uh, and so far as you've got Capaldi, and um, you do have some of the shots within the TARDIS where. I think there's one time Clara talks, you know, and then at the end of the episode, yeah, I don't know. There's a kid. I don't even remember if the kid <laughs> says anything. Um, <laughs> so anyway, to remind you of the plot, right? Uh, you get um, the doctor exploring this castle. He's kind of ultimately figuring out what's going on. He's figuring out that the veil wants him to confess, you know, he's figuring out this is all kind of a torture chamber. And ultimately figures out the whole thing about it right that like all of the skulls in the water are actually his skull and stuff like this um and ends up in a cycle where the the veil um kills him but then it takes him a long time to die he drags himself back to the teleporter uses his own body as energy to power the thing and um I want to say regenerates himself, but that's this is not the, your standard doctor regeneration here. Rather, he's loading the copy of himself in the yeah. teleporter again, you know. 
Um, and ultimately, I think the structure of it's really interesting. And, and, and we'll talk about all this more back in a back and forth yeah. way. But, you know, he breaks through the wall of uh, Azabantium or whatever it's called. The, the stuff that's <laughs> harder than diamond. But, um, but structurally, it's very interesting because you follow him in a slow way through this first time, which is not the first time at all, as we learned, right? Um, but then it kind of, you know, in a jump cut kind of way, or however we might describe that, takes us through how he how he's doing this over and over again. So yeah. um, anyhow, I was supposed to just be reminding people what the episode is. What do, what do you think, Ryan? Well, I I think having never seen Doctor Who before, I, I do get a sense based on just what I've absorbed about Doctor Who in the past that, yeah, that this episode is unlike any others that you might watch. You and I talked a little bit before we started here that typically there's a pair, there is a Doctor Who, and there is a companion. Um, it was it was pretty easy to deduce that he is going through this this trial as a result of something that happened to that companion in the previous episode. I told you I did not watch any others. I just used this episode out of context. Um, in terms of that, for one man play symbol for something, I just having never watched Doctor Who before, having no connection to this Doctor before, found this to be incredibly powerful. I mean, incredibly powerful. Um, maybe it's because I had just watched um, this Loki finale, which we can shove to later, but it was a real masterclass in acting, a real masterclass in sort of showing a range of emotions. Um, and what I can only presume is a metaphor for how we deal with grief and loss and and how we power through all of that. Um, just, again, with zero context was extremely, extremely powerful for me. Well, yeah, I agree. And yeah, we, yeah that, that that's almost a big thing to dig into is yeah. what's going on in terms of this has, um, you know, being about grief, being about mourning. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's giving us a story with these kind of science fiction trappings to it. Um, but I really think, yeah, it's about mourning, you yeah. know, in, in ways that um, we'll have to cash out here. So, yeah, I mean, to fill this in for you a little bit, you know, if you're curious, as you mentioned, you only watched this episode. In the previous episode, mm -hmm. Clara dies. Um, and she's been the doctor's companion at this point for over a season, I think, okay. you know, um, and let's double check exactly. I know. Anyway, we don't need to get caught up on that, but, um, watching Dr. Who, as we said, it is often fun and there is often levity, but part of what I enjoy about Dr. Who in general yeah. is the show kind of splits between genres. Yep. a bit you know and so some episodes of doctor who are more like historical fiction other episodes of doctor who get closer to horror even than this one you know um and others are like more whimsical and it varies a mm -hmm. bit but it's also that the show manages through its structure to gut punch you yeah because it always is going to end up with in one way or another the companions don't always die. Yeah. Sometimes it's worse. Um, <laughs> which I won't spoil that, but this is okay. sometimes it works. I, I can think of like one instance where um she just like leaves, you know. Um, but but the show does manage to uh to to do that sort of thing and then with the doctor um themselves, I suppose I'll say. Yeah. Um also with the you know um regenerations and anyhow. Um, I'm rambling about that a bit, but the but big I was, thing I was, I was going to, to ask if this, I guess, not necessarily is it a common trope, but a, but a common theme throughout the stories of the doctor having to overcome something, having to face some task. Is it more of a episode of the week? Is it a you have to go solve some task? Is it is it more metaphorical than that or just what's the standard doctor who season because you said something about standard regeneration and i mean that that means nothing to me as someone that hasn't seen this show other than mm -hmm. he regenerates himself 
for two billion years, it seems like in this one. Yeah, no, the, the, the standard regeneration I was referring to is that when the doctor dies, the doctor doesn't die. Um, or like, one of the things about Doctor Who is it often weighs its hands a lot. You know, <laughs> it often it's often kind of like, don't think about this too much. So bear that in mind. I think yeah, this is yeah. fine, you know. But this is the kind of show, and I respect this about the show, that when some kind of question comes up about the logic of time travel, it's just kind of like, don't worry about it too much, you know, <laughs> um, for the most part, you know. So um, they play with that a little bit, too, on the regeneration thing. And um, I think it's sort of like that um, Time Lords, which I answer one of your questions that, that you were wondering about. The time Lords are, are Doctor Who's species. Okay. Okay. Basically. Okay. And so um, the Doctor's not alone in this, but that when hit with a blow that would be fatal to a human being, at least, the Time Lords are able to regenerate. And it I is see. something like a death of that version of themselves. And then they become another version of themselves. Interesting. Um, my understanding is I think that this actually is one of these great things in TV history that originated based on a practical real world problem of replacing the actor. Oh, okay. Okay. I was always wondering, is this, is Dr. Who just a, lucky guy who's smart who found a TARDIS that can travel through time or is there something unique about him and his or her abilities that, that allow him to do whatever it is that he or she is willing to be doing yeah I mean it's not necessarily unique and so far as other time lords can do this as well mm -hmm. we risk going into too much of a tangent about the mythology here that I'll try to avoid um there is something distinctive about the doctor in that he like ran away from the Gallifrey. Gallifrey is their home planet. The time ah, learns okay. there. I, I did not get that reference. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, as I think you can glean from this episode, although I've just told you that the Time Lords are the Doctor's species and Gallifrey is his home world, they're much closer to the bad guys, right? <laughs> like, I mean. They're and, and I think that they're supposed to like, you know, be in this position of like guarding time, or, you know, yeah. the timeline or whatever. Whereas the doctor's like, screw that. I'm going to go off and help people. I was like, he didn't seem thrilled to be there at the end of the episode. And now that it gives a little bit more context as to, as to perhaps why he felt that way. Yeah, he does more or less here. He does more or less blame them for Clara's death. Um, He's been in the preceding episode um it's a little convoluted but he's kind of tricked um okay. and clara got too clever for her own good um and got caught in an inescapable trap basically there's like okay. i guess i'll talk about it there, it's like it's like um no, you know, it actually is too much. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it, it's like this sci-fi-ish sci kind of thing where yeah. it's like um, uh, the thing's going to kill you after a certain markdown, a, a certain countdown of time. Okay. But you can okay. pass it off to someone else. But because oh, Clara okay. gets too clever for her own good, she takes it from someone else, not realizing that because she's taken it, from her friend she wants to save. Now the um, uh, person who could have removed it from her friend cannot remove it from her. That's the long and short of it. So you end up with this scene where, um, what's her name? Who played Arya in Game of Thrones? Maisie Williams, is that her name? Oh, uh, that sounds right. Uh... That's it. That's the actress here. Anyway. Okay, okay. Um, and where they real like they realize everything that's happened, and you end with this kind of protracted scene where she's like, "I'm so sorry, I can't do anything to save you." Yeah. Okay. And so, like, not only is it that Clara dies, the Doctor has to like sit there powerless for a bit, but it's all because of how um, this was in order to 
um, trap him where he is now, basically. And it, and it also seems that he is suffering through this after Clara, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, A, did it as sort of a sacrificial act, and B, was something the doctor couldn't do anything about. He could not do anything about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, although, if you watch that episode, Face the Raven, um, there is a bit where he rants about how he'll burn the universe down to save her life, basically. Um, and um, she makes him promise not to do that. I see. Okay. Okay. And so then in this episode, you know, he is, it's not, it's not tasked with something, but he comes to the realization that there is this literal and metaphorical wall in front of him. And it's going to take him knocking it down. I guess my question is to do what? To get over this grief, to get through this stage so he can move on to something else. I guess it's sort of a question of, you know, to me, what does he feel like he's doing this in pursuit of? Yeah, well, let's talk about the narrative logic a little bit, because it is one thing that I realized that became clear to me having watched the episode multiple times. Um. As noted, we start out, he appears, he's figuring out what's going on. We don't know what's going on either. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of retrospectively piece some things together, right? Excuse me. So the first time we see him, he's apparently already been in this cycle for like 7,000 years. Um, But it's the first time for him. Right. And um, he goes through and he finds the paver in the dirt that says I'm in 12. He figures out what the um, the veil is trying to do in order to get him to confess. Um, One thing to think about might be the, you know, why these it as so important to keep the secret. I think, you know, there's a little bit of, of wonkiness there. But anyway, um, that I'm just trying to think, articulate how all of this works, right? Because yeah. he notes to us that the rooms reset, but they don't reset perfectly. And thinking about it yeah. meaningfully, the stuff that he himself does has a way of holding, right? So, like, the set of clothing that he leaves on the chair is still there for him to find the dry clothes the next time around. I guess the first time he proceeded naked. <laughs> right? Um, uh, the the skull you see over and over, he finds what is his own skull, but then he sets it on the castle wall and in a moment of shock knocks it into water mm-hmm. and, the, and then the things become full of water. Each time that he drags himself back to the transporter um he writes bird in the sand for himself right so it's like he's letting himself know that's the thing that is him letting himself know the plan right i guess right right? Uh, although you could also see him as kind of like hitting on the same plan each time you know but it is one of these things where One bit I always found really striking here is um, even if when you have like Clara writing on the blackboard, I don't know, that strikes me as just a tinge cheesy, but I always overlook that. I'm like, fine, that's fine. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you about that, but yeah. It, this is a little, uh, how do you win, you know? Yes. Um, but his his response when he says, can I just lose just this once, mm-hmm. you know, um, that the answer is always no, right? right. That, that there is that perseverance. And, you know, you're talking about the wall of diamond or whatever fake mineral it is. I think that's fake. Is it? Is it, is it real? I, don't, I think it's fake. I've it? never heard of as I've heard of adamantium, but that's that's just what Wolverine's claws are made out of. I don't know what this stuff is. <laughs> I think this is fake. I Googled it. What did I find? Doctor Who. <laughs> So yeah. I don't know, like maybe, maybe, 
you know, I didn't dig deep enough into uh, the internet or anyway. But anyway, that the plan here, you have to think about it from the perspective of his um, torturers, if you like. Yes. The plan is that to get him to confess. If he were to confess, if you were to tell them what they want to know, which is the stuff about the hybrid, we don't need to go yeah. into that because I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But if he were to tell the veil there what they want to know, it would move and then he'd get out. I think that that was, I, I would like to watch this again because I think that's one thing that distracted me that I'd like to go back with the knowledge that whatever he's actually saying is not, it, that's just sort of a false MacGuffin. That doesn't really matter. It's just the fact that he's doing it. He, he is confessing. It's not with act, actually what he's confessing. It's just that he is doing it that gets him to be able to do this over and over and over again. Um, like I said, it, maybe that's a wrong read. That hybrid thing is extremely important and, and is relevant to what he's going through in the moment. Yeah. Mostly. I don't think he confesses much. Like you see the yeah. first time it's a confession that he's scared. Yeah. Um, and I think he offers up the other one that he didn't uh, he didn't leave at Gallifrey because he was bored or whatever you know. Yeah. He offers a couple little things, but in the in the culminating scene, which we're getting over and over again, he's reciting this fairy tale. Yes. Uh, I think it's from Brothers Grimm. How many seconds are an eternity, right? And so there's this story about over time this bird pecking at a mountain um and ultimately right it, yeah. it erodes the mountain one little bird peck at a time so that's his plan right like in punching this wall mm -hmm. he knows he's gonna die and yeah. have to do this over and over and over and over again for i mean ultimately i think it's like hundreds of billions of years right. or something which is kind of insane um in order to finally um break through and so the way that the episode gives that to us is you see him being killed by the veil and he gets slowly gets further and further along in the story yeah. until he can finally deliver the line and so my you question is a heck of a bird the heck of a bird <laughs> which i mean great great line first of all i, I mean just awesome um but my question about that, and maybe this is just time shenanigan stuff, and maybe if this goes back to what you're saying about how it slightly resets every time, it, it seems like the castle, what exists there, what he does to remind himself with the bird and all the stuff, always resets itself as he regenerates, except for the wall stays at the position, at the the, the point of dismantlement that it was when he left. And, yeah, and, and I so, don't know. I mean, there's there, there may maybe a little bit of inconsistency here, and maybe something we just have to like not get too hung up on. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely a way in which other things don't reset perfectly. Right. Um, but you're right. There, there is a little bit of wonkiness here that this has to be almost an exception that this wall does not reset as it were right because that would yeah. reset it to its original hardness and there, this wouldn't work yeah <laughs> so he has to wear, be wearing it down over time and you know i don't know if it's ad hoc or not but you could just say well yeah it's this wall is not really part of the whole yeah, not really part thing. of it was never able maybe to or was never something that they thought he would be able to access um or be able to get through um, this veiled creature, I guess it is, but you know, sort of leads me to to a, another point or another question, which is: there's sort of two ways to, con to consider this. There's the without ruining Shawshank Redemption, there is you know pressure plus time, you know, that gets him gets to the end of that movie and what he's able to do. Right? It's just how much perseverance do you have and how much time do you have with this show? You know, time seemingly resets, but he's able to sort of come back to his progress, which leads me to just briefly wanted to mention something about the Loki finale, which is it, it's almost like the writers of this finale had this episode in mind. Because yeah. Loki's figured out how to go back to a point, go back to any point 
um, and time. So he's constantly trying to repeat things, repeat things, redo things, do them better, do them smarter, do them faster um, to be able to change something to happen in the future that's going to have devastating consequences. And he just can't figure out how to do it. And so with that, it's sort of this, you know, when time is unlimited, as in Loki's case, as in Doctor Who's case, right? It's just a matter of of perseverance. But that perseverance is still something that is, you know, in both of the cases, I know you haven't seen Loki finale, but in both of the cases seems like it wouldn't have been surprised for me to hear Loki say, oh, I just want to lose. I don't care. I just want to give up, right? And it's sort of this this momentum that they carry because of what they're trying to do or what they're trying to achieve. That was just sort of this really stark parallel that I was able to draw from, um, from this. So it's not a Shawshank thing where you just need time to make it happen. You need perseverance as opposed to time. Right. Yeah. And then that's interesting. What you say about Loki makes me curious to like watch that episode. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I do think it's, there's a little bit of, a question here at one point the doctor says he remembers or something but at the same time it would seem like he he's starting fresh each time he has mm-hmm. to figure it all out again each time you know mm-hmm. so you're not you're not quite you're not dealing with the same doctor for 400 billion years yeah but he ultimately knows that a version of himself has been doing this that long yes. you know um that's the that. main difference between this episode and loki is there's a death of the doctor every time whereas yeah. loki's figured out how to go back and try to change things without without dying um yeah and so yeah just sort of this this difference of how they accomplish those two things uh, yeah i mean i don't think you need too much context it, it is quite striking how similar the two episodes are though no that's interesting yeah and let's let's dig into the stuff about morning, you know, because yeah, part of yeah. what I think is so striking about the episode is along these lines. I mean, obviously, he's mourning Clara's death. There's the portrait of Clara, which I guess we have to figure he painted that himself at some point. I don't know where he's getting paint. I would think so. <laughs> um, but again, that's the kind of thing like, don't worry about it too much. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't get hung up on where to get paint. You yeah. know, don't. Just um, in the castle somewhere. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, I, I think it really does operate as a certain metaphor and as a symbol. You know, if you're dealing with great loss, that how how does one go on? Yeah. You know, um, that line, like, why can't I just lose? Yeah. You know? Do I even, we might be talking about something very mundane, like getting out of bed, you yep. know, just like continuing to live in the face of uh, of loss. And I think that then the doctor is giving us a symbol of yeah that perseverance through punching this wall over and over and over again to, to finally, finally get through, finally be able to, to move and, on. And do you even want to in the aspect of wanting to lose do you even want to try and move on do you want to try to get past it and in the moment it it feels like this story of every hundred years a bird's going to come peck at a mountain and as long as it takes to knock down that mountain that's that's how long it's going to feel like that i'm in that i'm dealing with this that i'm suffering with this that i'm i'm having to go through this um it, it it does you know just you know some personal stuff that i've dealt with it, it, the metaphor hit in terms of in the moment it feels like it's never going to end yeah absolutely um, mm-hmm. and just that that that's what resonated i think with me with me the most certainly yeah that's absolutely right um you're mentioning loki you know something that occurred to me this was completely unplanned. And indeed, I hadn't decided for sure that I was going to, we were going to do this episode until like, you know, maybe two weeks ago or something yeah. like that. Do you realize, if you, if you thought about this at all, we've now, we spent the last eight weeks choosing episodes that <laughs> we each think are all time great standout episodes of television. You notice running themes? Running themes. I've got one big one, and it's kind of interesting. Okay, what it hit me with it? Um, not just death, yeah, but the aftermath of it. 
how one reacts to it. Yep. And I started realizing that I, this probably says more about us than anything, I guess. <laughs> Fairly direct with the West Wind last week. Like, that's actually a very similar episode in terms of it's our mm-hmm. protagonist and the aftermath of this, this a very kind of analogous yeah. kind of loss. Um, you know, let's see, working backwards. Uh, Twin Peaks, well, you know, like Laura's death hangs over the whole thing, yep. you know. Um going to the Mad Men episode it's not the main thing in the episode but it's very much there in an important way yes it is right how, how downsorting of uh of, uh, of that death of course better call Saul and Breaking Dad both of those yeah. episodes have dealing with pretty significant deaths in both yeah yeah shocking deaths and you know um and I was thinking, like, even the Lost episode, because you pointed out one of the reasons you chose that was because <laughs> of the dialogue between Jack and Sawyer, which is about Jack's yes. father and all of that, right? So, I don't know. It just, uh, it just kind of occurred we're, to me. We're, we're learning something about ourselves here, Cameron. We're, we're, we were having a moment here. Yeah, we, we tasked ourselves with choosing eight <laughs> episodes of television, and we didn't choose any, like, warm, fuzzy, you know, happy... <laughs> fun things really we, we were like let's think about death and mourning yeah oh gosh what's wrong with us i don't know anything i mean look take that from another point of view yeah. what what makes for a really powerful episode of television i think exactly often does involve you know something with with that kind yeah. of yeah deep deep character exploration deep emotion within characters and what better foundation upon which to build that than you know than loss or grief yeah yeah oh and i missed the last of us but that one too yeah, right <laughs> yes, that's what the that whole was, show's about yeah that's like oh it was actually all of them like i started out thinking well there's kind of a lot of thematic similarities actually between this and two <laughs> cathedrals and then i went wait a minute they kind of like traced it all the way back to pretty much everything in in oh, a certain oh. way um so this has been good. I'm glad you enjoyed this the episode. Been, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed this. was a good one to end on for several reasons. Just because it was so powerful, because it somehow the the stars aligned to put it in 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 for juxtaposition with this Loki finale, which was very, very interesting um, to see those within the course of a couple of days of each other. Uh, but this was great. I love going through these these eight, and now we've finished each of our top four, and now we've got another thing to move on to next week. Finally. Yeah, so we're talking about Fargo. Yes. Hopefully people are on board for this. We're going to be... Fargo Season 5 debuts next Tuesday on the 21st. Uh, I believe I read it's available on Hulu the following day. So with this one, I think it is like you have to watch it on FX if you want to see it on Tuesday night, and then it'll show up on Hulu on Wednesday for what it's worth. Um, But we'll be on top of it, right? So we keep our normal schedule. We're releasing... um, the podcast then on tuesday night after the episode is aired right you want to watch the episode before you come listen to us talk about it yeah um but yeah you watch that you watch that episode of fargo you'll have a podcast episode waiting for you to come come break it down yeah you have a podcast episode we're going big on fargo here at tv obsessive i guess because (laughs) ryan and i are going to talk about it on the podcast we will also have uh written episode recaps on the website this is the plan uh, written by Felicia Nickens, who's done a number of things for us. So hopefully everyone's into um, Fargo season five. Read what Felicia wrote. Come listen to us. Mm-hmm. And that should be good. And, you know, then after that, I don't know. And if we have to, we'll just pick some more great episodes to talk about because this has been yeah. fun the past couple of weeks. Why not? Why not? We'll uh, we'll figure out something to do. And if it's uh, kill time until True Detective, we may do that, too. <laughs> might not be that much time i don't know let's we'll check the schedule uh anyway thanks as always for listening um be sure to check out the website tvobsessive.com uh please do us a favor you know wherever you listen to this podcast leave a good review um want to find us on social media you can search for tv obsessive and uh you should find us on you'll find us on you know x and facebook and instagram i don't blue sky you know, for whatever that's worth. Um, I think that's about it for this week. All good. Yeah, this was really, 
fun exercise. Um, appreciate everybody who followed along with us uh, next week, Tuesday night. We'll be here with episode one of Fargo season five. Looking forward to doing that with you, Cameron. And until uh, next time. It is, it's two episodes. Oh, that's right. Episodes it's one episodes. and two. Two episode premiere. Yeah. So. Okay, so we will break. Uh, we'll be break both of them down that night, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Okay. See y'all next week.